Welcome to MCS Pentecast, Pentecostal podcast about theology and life in the Spirit, featuring both scholars and practitioners. MCS Pentecasts are produced by Masters College and Seminary in Ontario, Canada. I'm Van Johnson, Dean of Masters Pentecostal Seminary. You are listening to part two of the Pentecast, How to Preach and Teach Through a Crisis, an interview with Van Johnson and Peter Newman, interviewer Jonathan Smith, lead pastor of One Church, Toronto. All of this, uh, even did God cause all of this? And so that in mind, you know, I'm going to start with Van and then Peter, I think if you can pipe in at the back end of this question, uh, that... There's a lot of questions you're being asked during this crisis, anywhere from where is God and all of this to this is the judgment from God. What are some theological perspectives that help us to frame this as uh, communicators and as people who are helping to equip people uh, front line? So, Van, you first. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. And looking forward to um, looking forward to Sunday. I can no longer use the excuse that I'm out of town for not attending church anymore. I've never been so regular. And uh, isn't healing just uh, a great example of what we're talking about? We're experiencing healing now as a community in light of the greater and final healing we'll have on that day. And every healing we experience now is just a sign of what we have to look forward to, right? Okay, so um, theological perspective on this, where's God in this? Is this the judgment of God? Um, But let me say this as carefully as I can. Uh, COVID, like any other crisis, anything else that happens in the world that is out of kilter, and it seems like based on human rebellion and the Genesis story, it's all out of kilter. In a sense, that's that all goes back. The origin of this pandemic, as with natural disasters, biological disasters, regime change, political disasters, that, that they all come out of the first couple chapters of the Bible in terms of how we're to understand their origin. And so you have you have paradise. God said, this is good. <laughs> I like to say things are good. God looks as what he's made says, okay, this is good. And then within a couple chapters, you know, Adam and Eve are being physically isolated, separated from God's presence. And the physical ramifications of that actually pushed right out of the out of Eden, right? So so in a general sense, this pandemic to me is just another aspect of this sort of standing judgment of God upon humanity's rebellion. Not, not a judgment particularly because we're sinful in the last week or the last couple months, but it's just, it's just part of God's response to Adam and Eve. Okay, you've made this decision. Now I'm going to make one too. Life's going to be tough. And there's going to be pain and suffering, right? So, so in a general sense, you know, this pandemic is, um, is, is, is an aftershock when Adam and Eve sort of, you know, hit the terra firma. Um, in, in the chat room, you'll, you'll see some books that Peter and I have listed. Uh, here, here's an interesting one. In John Milton's Paradise Lost, looked it up last night, try and find it, book nine. He's relating the temptation of Eve, and you'll see the line numbers in the in the chat room. He, he's got this great line in there, says that when Eve bites the apple, creation sighs. Oh boy. Oh no, sorry. Oh girl. 
here we go. It's like there's an immediate physical reaction that creation knows this is a huge mistake <laughs> and we're all going to pay for it. So, so, so in a general sense, you look at this and you say, okay, this is another sign to us that uh, this world is, is not going to last. It can't last. It's, it's constantly being shaken and this pandemic is another example. Okay, but what is this? How do we speak about this pandemic <clears throat> particularly? So, Jonathan, again, I haven't missed any of your sermons. Uh, I think we approach this one not so much as, okay, this is God's judgment on the world because of this specifically, but rather we approach it like Jesus does when he talks about disaster in terms of the Tower of Siloam. He says, okay, 18 people die when the, the tower hits terra firma, right? And 18 people are under were those people any worse? And then this line, but unless you repent, tragedy is gonna befall you too. Okay, now that's really interesting. So let me suggest there are two ideas behind this. Jesus is saying there is no direct line you can draw between tragedy and God's particular judgment on something you may or may not have done. I mean, Look, we understand God deals with us, but you can't simply draw a line. Something bad happened. Something Somebody did something bad. But here's the flip side of it, which is really interesting, which I think makes sense of what Jesus said. In the same way that tragedy doesn't necessarily indicate God's judgment. Here we go. Lack of tragedy doesn't necessarily indicate God's pleasure Hey, God must be sort of happy with what I'm doing. Like, I know I'm doing lots of stuff he's not happy with, but he must be happy enough because things are going well. Jesus says, look, uh, tragedy hasn't happened to you, but don't take it to be that that means that everything is good. This is your opportunity to repent before it's too late. So, uh, Pastor Jonathan, you, you've supplied my best answer to this. And that's, and that's our hope then, isn't it? that uh, we have a choice to listen to God, to respond to him and to be ultimately spared. And so um, the text to me here is, if, if God's judgment upon humanity is expressed as separation, and so in a sense, we're experiencing some of that, um, then God's reward to us the, what we hope for is to be united with him. And there's that great stunning scene at the book of, end of the book of Revelation. Stunning scene. Uh, forget, forget the architecture of heaven. Uh, it's that stunning moment in chapter 21 where he says, I will, be, I will dwell with my people. I will again, no separation, right? And then that, that intense expression of intimacy, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, I will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's heaven, right? No more separation. And that's, that's so good, Dan. Uh, Luke 13 is such a great passage in this present crisis. Uh, Peter, why don't you jump in and respond? Sure. Uh, so good questions. Where is God in all this? And is God judging uh, judging us? I think Dan's provided a really good biblical framework for that. Um, I think we've emphasized the 
the eschatological not yet quite a bit in this discussion, and I do think we need that for a framework. Our hope is yet to be fulfilled. So, but but let, let's suppose, you know, given that we've embraced that, given that our allegiance is in Jesus, uh, where, you know, where is God now and, and um, what are we supposed to be doing? Uh, a couple of thoughts here. Number one is Jesus teaches us in the middle of all this, don't panic. Uh, he, he says that he's going to be with us to the end of the age, and he is indeed with us by the Spirit. His resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit guarantees his commitment to us. And so that's why he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, don't get too worried. Be confident in God's ongoing present care. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at your pets. <laughs> They're not usually worried like we we worry. And so there is a sense in which while we see crisis as a sign of what is yet to come, and even healing as a sign of what is yet to come, so we know that God's ideal is not here yet, but we know that one day everything is going to be okay. God's dreams are going to be fulfilled. And the way Paul says it is, it's you know, more than we can ask or imagine. Uh, James Bryan Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, points us out. And he says, this is actually a biblical narrative that we need to let go through our minds over and over, that as, as those who are given over to Jesus and are children of God, everything will be okay. And we know not yet, but it will all be okay. Julian of Norwich you know, says it this way, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And, and that focus on the now, that right now God is with us is actually very spiritually healthy. It's very psychologically healthy. And it's probably one of the reasons so many pastors have leaned in hard on that direction in the immediacy of the crisis to say, God is with us, right? It's okay. And that's actually very, very right. Here's where we need to be careful. Psychological peace is not the soul or even the primary criterion that guides what we should be preaching and teaching. It is one criterion that needs to be borne in mind, but it is not the sole criterion. Um, without the eschatological framework, the idea, if we, if we don't have this idea that God's taking us somewhere, um, then this idea of it's all going to be okay gets simply reduced to life coaching and Oprah, that, that type of thing. There has to be a strong eschatological framework. But aside from that, that, that idea of, of don't panic, don't worry, that's where Jesus lived. And so uh, he wants us to live there as well, because God is truly with us. Second item is this. Um, hope does not make us passive. And I want to be careful about this as well. It doesn't, it, it focuses our attention on the future, but it doesn't necessarily make us otherworldly in the wrong way of understanding that, right? So when the, I think when the New Testament, I'm sorry to intrude on Van's territory here, but I think when the New Testament talks about, you know, world, when the book of John, gospel of John talks about the world, it doesn't mean planet earth, so to speak. Uh, that's been declared good by God. It's not functioning properly now, but he means more so the world system. And you know, so we don't belong to this world system. We belong to the future that is yet to be seen in its fullness. But in the midst of that, what do we do? Do we say, okay, well, we're just going to wait around. No, we're not passive. We're not trying to escape planet earth. We are, what hope does is uh, Jürgen Moltmann would say it, it makes us yearn for uh, what we're looking at in the future, looking for in the future. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. But also it makes us um, un very, very dissatisfied with the way things are right now. And dissatisfaction has all sorts of appropriate 
uh, applications. We can be dissatisfied that there's people out of relationship with God, and so that invigorates our evangelism. We can become dissatisfied where people are broken, and so we can then be motivated by the Holy Spirit to bring healing into those lives as well, or even just you know prayer for healing. But there has to be a, a deep, deep dissatisfaction, and that dissatisfaction uh, of the way things are right now actually makes us not passive, but quite active. And so uh, Jürgen Moltmann's helpful there. N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, is is good, although he's probably not as Pentecostal as as uh, Van would like. I, I just want to mention two other uh, books here that might be, be very, very helpful for us when it comes to dealing with crisis and processing it. Um, one is by Shane Clifton, Pentecostal theologian from Australia, who uh, was in an accident, became a quadriplegic back in 2010. His memoir is called Husbands Should Not Break. Well worth the read, very raw uh, details of, of what he's gone through. And he's continued to write about Pentecostals and healing and how we should process suffering. Very, very uh, fascinating read. And, and I'm also reading presently Kate Bowler's book, Everything happens for a reason. Now, Kate Bowler is an ex, an expert on the prosperity gospel. She has an academic book on that. This one is her her story about finding herself with cancer at age thirty four, and um, and that that myth of everything happens for a reason and how she's processed that. And I think how how these folks are hanging on to a not yet in the middle of some real serious personal trials and tragedies. Uh, I think it's a very healthy way that they are viewing things and may even call into question some of the assumptions that we bring even as uh, as Pentecostals to this. Hey, if I can just jump in, I think, um, yeah, that's really good, Peter. Um, and, and and delighted to hear you refer to a, a biblical book, a New Testament book. Um, in the book of John, Raymond Brown was the uh, Roman Catholic scholar who probably said it best, said uh, every time you read the word world in John, it's it's not creation as such. It's a rebellious planet. And and that's what gives the pointedness to John 316. Right. It's not that he just loves birds and trees, but. And, and as I'm listening to Peter, I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is one thing that I can just help underline, though you've done it really well, is that even though in a sense we're experiencing something of the, you know, the echoes of the judgment of God here, uh, the, the love of God keeps penetrating this. And so here, you know, the love of God expressed um, to us at, in the middle of this, in the middle of this crisis, right? For God so loved us in crisis. Thanks, guys. Uh, uh, Peter, that was fantastic. And Van, thank you for that. You know, I, I, I've had a, a dog for years and the dog uh, died a couple of years ago. You know what I love about animals is I, they're never aware of the fact that death is imminent. And humans live their entire lives knowing that uh, there is an end date. And there's, a, there's an anxiety, there's a fear, there's a, uh, a clamoring, a distraction that we, and probably more so in our culture today than ever before, we've removed death so far from our reality. We've hidden it in the back areas of, uh, of funeral homes and everything that, that it's never, it's no longer in the living room. It's no longer that present reality. And for the Christian, uh, it transcends that present reality, the hope and faith that we have. I, I know that I'd be guilty of probably not talking about death, en death enough. 
in a way that frames uh, what the ultimate uh, win is, what the ultimate perspective is. But uh, listen, before we jump into a next question, because I want to, uh, I, I recognize some of you are, you know, come from a Pentecostal stream, and these are two Pentecostal scholars. Uh, we're glad you're with us, but I'm going to ask them next to look back into our history, because I think uh, the Pentecostal uh, journey may have something to speak to where we are at, and other traditions may come at it in different ways, but bear with us for a moment. But first, I'm going to turn it to Matt. Matt, how's it going in the chat room? Any questions for Van or Peter? Well, first of all, I just want to give a shout out to Peter Walters, who's apparently going to be sending some uh, coffee to you guys through an e-transfer uh, as a thank you because it's been so valuable. But uh, guys, great stuff so far. Uh, Dale Sanders says, can we preach the biblical narrative while adapting to the cultural narrative? So I think this is referring to one of our earlier questions. He's saying, I'm not suggesting we modify the message, but whether the culture will shape the way our message is formatted. So how do we involve the culture in formatting our, our message without adapting the, the biblical narrative? Um, okay, so my, my part of this is really short. So what we're trying to do is take the biblical narrative and illustrate it with cultural examples rather than taking the cultural narrative and illustrating it with biblical passages. Great question. I mean, great answer and also a great question. But uh, uh, that that's uh, a great response that we got a bunch here. So we'll just keep, keep moving quickly here. Dave Larmer says, I'm interested in hearing from Van and Peter how we can call people to joyful hope while making space for lament. So where is the balance in that? <laughs> so Van hands this one over to me. Peter. Yeah, well, he's your pastor. Uh, Go ahead, man. That's, that's true. It's true. I've got um, on the screen. Give something to yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do want to make a comment about that previous question, um, uh, first of all, because I think it's a very important one. I think it's a very complex one. It had to do with how do we preach a biblical uh, narrative message in the middle of, of culture. And I don't think there's an easy answer to that. I think Van is absolutely right that um, I think I've noticed in the last 30 years, there's been a shift from preaching a biblical sermon and using illustration books, so to speak, to having a, a cultural, using the culture as our text and using the Bible as an illustration. And um, that might be a little bit harsh, but uh, I, a good test that I tell my students is after you've listened to a sermon, remove all the Bible references that were read. And if the sermon still makes sense, the content probably didn't emerge from the biblical narrative. So, just, just something maybe to think about. It's not that it was bad. It might be good. It's just that it's just something to think about there. However, this is a, a really important Ouch. question. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a really important question because uh, the church has always believed the church is Catholic, small c Catholic, universal, that the Holy Spirit will enable the church of Jesus Christ to flourish and be expressed in, every, in any culture in the, on this planet, not simply a North American culture or African culture or anything else that it could be uh, expressed anywhere, which means that it's not possible really to live out the, the gospel or preach the gospel without cultural packaging here. And so uh, I, th I think Van's right, but I, I, I realize this is a really, really complex question and probably almost something that, that we could leave to another entire webinar about contextualizing gospel 
uh, message there. Um, David Lormer asked about lament and uh, time for that. I think that's really important. I think uh, that the inability to, um, to integrate lament into the middle of our worship uh, is part of our buying into uh, cultural trends that are healthy in some ways, but are over the top in other ways. So it's, um, you know, we come in, we're going we're gonna to sing songs of celebration, all these types of things, and that's all good. We're, we don't want to mope. But at the same time, a lot of, look at, you know, I read the Psalms, I'm like, boy, there are a lot of depressing themes here. Why is that? They're, they're allowed to express them, and God is, God is uh, actually inspiring this, <laughs> that we would use these. And, and so it must be spiritually and psychologically healthy to do so. And so I, I think there has to be time for this. I think we need to be patient in this process. I think we ought to not be too hard on ourselves as to what, how are we feeling? Do we have to come to church and feel a particular way? Uh, I've tried doing that for a number of years. Hasn't worked out too well for me. Um, I think it's better to be honest about these things and, and let other people be honest as well. So great question from, from Dave. Thanks. I, I think uh, we should probably hand it over to you guys, but if we have time, we got some more questions for at the end. Yeah, uh, great. I'm just watching the chat room, uh, guys. Great comments, great questions. Lots of reflecting back of uh, some of the stuff Van and Peter have just said. But uh, let's lean in a little bit here. And the question uh, to both of you is this. What does the Pentecostal tradition offer us in this time of COVID? Are there any lessons that we can learn from it? This concludes part two of this Pentecost. Look for part three coming soon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of MCS Pentecast, podcast produced by Master's College and Seminary. MCS Pentecasts are available online at mcs.edu and also through iTunes Podcasts. Master's College and Seminary offers biblical, theological, and practical courses from a Pentecostal perspective at both undergrad and graduate levels. For more information on graduate courses offered through the seminary in Toronto, Canada, visit mpseminary.com. For undergrad courses at Master's College in Peterborough, please visit mcs.edu.